Thank you for giving him to die for us on the cross. Thank you that he has taken our sins. Thank you that you have raised him from the dead, our Lord and King. Thank you that you have included us in him uh, and given us all your promises uh, and every spiritual blessing in him. Uh, Father, thank you that you have made us your own. And thank you that you are the God who leads us and keeps us, uh, who feeds us with your word. And Father, we pray that even now, uh, as we have heard your word uh, read to us, now we come to consider it together. We pray that your spirit, uh, who gave us this word, uh, would be at work among us and in our hearts, uh, that he will enable me to preach your word rightly, uh, and helpfully, and in his power, that he would be working in each one of our hearts, uh, drawing us to Christ and causing us to respond to him uh, in an appropriate way. Uh, Father, please be a work in us, and we thank you uh, that you are so gracious to us. And we pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And can you please turn back with me to Luke chapter 5? Luke chapter 5 was our New Testament reading today. We're continuing our series in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 5. And if you're using the Bibles with the yellow dot, it's on page 1037. Uh, on your handouts, uh, on the way you came in when you, you got some handouts, and one of those handouts is outlined. Uh, where we're going in the service, it'll be helpful to have that open in front of you as well. Uh, and there's space for notes if you'd like to take notes on the outline. Uh, otherwise, uh, tap the outline there and have the new chapter 5 open. About 750 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah had a great vision. And in his vision, he saw the Lord sitting on his throne. He was high and lifted up. And he was so big that even the, the train of his robe filled the whole temple. And the heavenly beings called to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And you know what Isaiah said when he saw that? Remember our Old Testament reading? He said, Woe with me, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He is a man who knows he's a sinner and is confronted with the holiness of God. Last week, as we looked at uh, Luke chapter 4, we saw that Jesus came to preach the good news of the kingdom. Kenneth reminded us of that just now. And as our passage opens today, Jesus is doing just that. He's teaching the word of God. And he seems to be getting a good response. The crowd is listening intently to him. 
Uh, but because the AV system hasn't been invented yet, it's all by voice. Right? And so the crowds are going to come closer. There's more and more people. They're all coming. They want to listen. Right? So they're coming closer and closer. They're pressing in on him. And he's standing beside a lake, which uh, is called Lake Gennesaret, sometimes known as the Sea of Galilee. And he notices beside the lake there are two boats. The boats are empty because the fishermen who had been in them are washing their nets nearby. And so Jesus chooses one of those boats. And it's a boat belonging to a man named Simon. We know that he's met Simon before. In fact, they know Simon. He's been to Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law was ill and he's healed her. He gets into Simon's boat and he says to Simon, can you push out from the land? So they push out so he, there he is sitting in the sea and Jesus sits in the boat as he normally does when he's preaching and the people are standing on the shore. Back in those days, the preacher sits down everyone stands up. Okay, nowadays the preacher stands up everyone sits down. Huh? I like it in those days better. Right? <laughs> and so there is Jesus sitting in the boat just out in the sea and the people are on the shore and he's teaching the people who are hungry to hear the word of God. And eventually he's finished speaking to the crowd. It's time for them to go home. And he turns again to Simon. And he says to him in verse 4, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Let down your nets. Interesting, isn't it? Here's this preacher, son of a carpenter, telling the fishermen where to fish. And Simon answers him in verse 5, Master, we, we toiled all night. We took nothing. This is pointless exercise. But then he adds, But at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will let down the nets. It doesn't seem expedient. Goes against his experience. But Peter will trust Jesus and do what he says. And that's the right thing to do, isn't it? It's always the right thing to do. Just do what Jesus says. Even if it doesn't seem to be the most expedient solution. Peter doesn't. The others do so too. And when they do, in verse 6, they enclose a large number of fish. In fact, there are so many fish that, that the nets are beginning to break. And they quickly signal their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they come, they, they bring the fish in, and they fill both boats. And so there are more and more fish breaking the nets and filling up the boats. And there's, there's so many fish that the boats begin to sink. Both boats begin to sink with a number of fish. And the situation is getting frantic as the fishermen try to deal with this biggest catch of fish they've ever seen in their lives, ever been in their nets and their boats. And suddenly Simon stops. He realizes something. There's something going on here that is far more important than getting all those fish in. There's something far more significant than having the best fisherman's tale to tell in the coffee shop afterwards. What has just happened tells him something about that man that was teaching the word of God from his boat. What has just happened tells him something about that man who told him to just go out of the deep and cast your net. 
something about Jesus. Has Jesus supernaturally controlled all the movement of fish and brought them from all over the lake to, to the nets? Or is this even bigger than that? Has he miraculously multiplied the fish that are in the nets and in the boats? Either way, who can do that? If it's the first, Jesus is exercising dominion over the fish of the sea that has not been seen since Adam fell. And if it's the second, Jesus is creating fish like God himself. Either way, this is an incredible miracle. And Jesus must be an incredible person. And Simon falls down at Jesus' knees. He says in verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? Even at this point, early on, Peter recognizes Jesus as the Lord. Now his view of Jesus is going to go up and down. As time goes on, we'll swing here and there, right? As he and the other disciples try to work out who Jesus is. But right at this point, he blurts out this confession and calls him Lord. Which on the one hand could be a form of polite address, but on the other hand is what you would call God himself. Which one is it? I think the clue is in the posture. There he is, kneeling at Jesus' feet. Seems to me to suggest this is an early confession of the deity of Christ. May not yet have been Peter's seventh position. He'd have lots of questions, lots of doubts. And he'd go here and there before he's finally able to declare on the day of Pentecost that Jesus is indeed Lord. But you know, Peter laughed. He is someone who just blurts out whatever he's thinking at that point. And right now, he's thinking that he's in the presence of God. Which is why he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's the kind of sentiments you see in the Old Testament, isn't it? When people come into contact with God. Remember that vision of God from Isaiah we talked about just now? Woe is me, Isaiah says. For I am lost, I am a man of unclean lips, I dwell in the people of unclean lips, and my, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts, the King. Or in Judges 13, Gideon's father realizes he's speaking to the one who is simultaneously the angel of the Lord and the Lord. And he says to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Friends, when we come before a holy God, When we are confronted by a holy God, we realize our own sinfulness and our utter unworthiness. When we are confronted with God as He truly is, and therefore ourselves as we truly are in ourselves, we realize we have no standing before a holy, awesome, terrible God. The God who cannot tolerate sin. The perfectly just God who must punish sinners with his divine and awesome and majestic wrath. The holy and mighty one who consumes all who stand before him. 
Woe is me, Isaiah says. I've lost. Depart from me. For I am a sinful man. Says Peter. And friends, these sentiments are right sentiments. They're not the end of the story. Where we end. Thanks be to God. But that is the right starting point for our life. Relating to God. It's not the end. By the end of Isaiah's story, he's... What's happened? His sin is atoned for by some act of God involving sacrifice. Right, a call is taken from before the altar that touches this. We're not told what sacrifice is and how we don't know what it is in the Old Testament. When you come to Christ, you, feel like you realize what it is. But somewhere or other, God does something to atone for Isaiah's sin and make him able to stand before God. And then God sends him out on a mission. And then in Peter's case, Jesus isn't going to say, oh, I'll get out of it, but from you. No, no, no. He will reassure him. And he will also send Peter to speak for him. It's not the place where it ends, but it's the place to start. I fear the law is not the end of wisdom, but it is the beginning of wisdom, isn't it? And it's not just Peter who's astonished at Jesus, that his whole team is as well. Those who are with him. Verse 9, as well as James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who are his partners in the other boat. In verse 10, all of them are kind of like, what's going on here? Please can you imagine that? There they are, standing in their boats with their jaws gone, like fish everywhere, in shock and awe at the man they have seen before. But Jesus speaks to Simon. But what he speaks to Simon, it's meant for, for James and John as well. He says to Simon in verse 10, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you'll be catching men. Uh, back in the book of Jeremiah, in chapter 16, verse 16, uh, God had said that he would send fishers and hunters to catch his people whom he had dispersed. God would punish them for their sin, but then he would bring them back from the lands in which he had vanished. Peter, James, and John, part of that. They used to catch fish. Now they will catch men. How they do that, well, remains to be seen. It's not told here yet. But they'll be involved in God's great work. Catching, saving, and restoring And the Lord who called them to that work has just shown his great power in giving them this miraculous catch of fish. And that reassures them, isn't it? He'll be able to show his great power in the miraculous catch of people as well. They can do it with the fish. They can do it with the people. And in years to come, he'll exactly do that. On the day of Pentecost, Peter would stand up and preach and 3,000 souls would be added to the believers. As Peter and John would preach in the days after that, the number would go up to 5,000. They'd be catching in in a miraculous way, just like those fish. Although, that's all in the future now. Right now, they've got a decision to make. Jesus tells them their new job is to catch people. Forget the boats, forget the fishing, Catching people. How are they going to respond? Well, look what they do in verse 11. 
And when they had brought their boats to land, it's a good thing they brought their boats to land first, huh? It's good, okay. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Well, friends, what do we learn from this passage? Why is Luke chosen to include it in his gospel? What's, what's, what's the Spirit telling us through this today? Well, first and foremost, it tells us about Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is God. He is the Lord who rules His creation. He is the Holy One in whose presence we don't deserve to stand. He is the one who proclaims the word of God, who calls people to follow Him and deserves people to follow Him. He deserves your allegiance and mine. Jesus is the Lord of creation. He is Lord. The second thing reminds us about us. Now, we are different from Peter and James and John in many ways. We're not one of Jesus' original disciples. We're not apostles. We haven't been given the same kind of authority as these guys would be given. So it wasn't just always just take everything he says about them and apply it to us. But the things in today's passage, well, actually we are very much like Peter, aren't we? Because like Peter, you and I are sinful people. All of us have failed to treat the holy God in the way he deserves to be treated. All of us have failed to love him and honor him and obey him as we should. And like Peter, we've been confronted by him in the person of Jesus. Jesus met him by the shore of Lake Gennestra. We meet him in his word. But either way, we're confronted by him. And when we are in God's presence, our sinfulness is evident. Peter acknowledged his sinfulness and unworthiness, and that was the start of his relationship with Jesus. Are we going to do that? Will you rightly see how sinful you are? Will you rightly realize how unworthy you are to have Jesus be near you? Will I rightly acknowledge how my sin is so abhorrent to God and deserving of His wrath? Or will we cheerfully think we're not so bad after all because we can always find someone else's worth that we can compare ourselves with? Friends, each of us, each of us have got to come to the point of realizing our own sinfulness and our utter spiritual bankruptcy before God. Each of us have come, need to come to realize to the point that, that we, in and of ourselves, are so sinful we can never approach God. All we can hope is that He will keep His distance from us until the judgment day when we will face judgment and condemnation. Because once we realize that, and we realize that that is what we deserve, then we will be overwhelmingly grateful that God in Christ gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us His love. He gives us His mercy. 
He gives us the forgiveness of all our sins because Jesus died for our sin in our place. He gives us the acceptance that we otherwise would not have. So that when we cry out, depart from me, Lord, I'm so sinful, woe is me. Jesus can say to us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I have taken your sin myself. Your sin has been atoned for. You are righteous in me. All you need to do is keep on trusting me. And if you trust me, you will do what I say. Even when, with the eyes of the world, it doesn't seem expedient. Well, when Jesus called Peter, he called him to catch men, didn't he? hearts from being being unbelievers and rebels against Jesus to loving him and seeking to serve him with all their lives. But friends, knowing that God does that miracle, then let's be prepared to go fishing. Let's tell people about Jesus, the God who became man. Let's tell them that he died on the cross to pay the punishment for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Let's tell them that he's been raised as the king of all and invite them to give up everything to enter his kingdom. We're part of that great enterprise of catching people for the kingdom. Now all of us have got different part in that. All of us have got different gifts and abilities opportunities and circumstances. How do we do it? It's going to be different from Peter, how I know it's going to be different from you. I want to stop for a moment. I you going to give us a break. Take a break and think. If I am part of God's plan to catch people, what am I going to do about that this week? Very quietly for wisdom. Just take a moment. Jot something down, whether it's on your sermon notes or blue card or, or somewhere. What's one step I can take to this week in my role as a fisher of men? Is that okay? Can you do that? Yeah? Okay. Just give me a minute. Think about it. I'll come back and continue.
as I was preparing the sermon last night, I uh, the spot of the sermon last night. I uh, did that exercise and remembered someone from that I'd met at the Slangle Club a few weeks or a few times and spoke to them about church and stuff. Let me ring him up and invite him to the guest line. Uh, so yeah, he said he'd come. So let's pray that he comes. Okay, what do you think we could move? This time, I want not just think about the next week. What do you think about the next 20 years? Like that. If God gives you 20 more years, and he might not give you 20 more years, you know, but if God gives you 20 more years, how can you be most fruitful in catching people for the kingdom? Again, right? not, all, not all give to the evangelists, but all of us have got a part of it. Now, some people are already playing their part, like really, they're not trying to like, add more things to your plate, you know what I mean? Right? Uh, but what should you think? What part can you play with the gifts and ability and personality God's given you? And what would you need to do? What we need to learn? What changes do you need to make to your life or to your lifestyle or to your work or to your studies in order to do that? What would you have to think about that? Start thinking about it. It's much bigger than it's going to be. It's a much bigger thing than it's going to be time to do immediately, right? But it's just time thinking. But as you do that, remember, huh? God is sovereign, okay? He decides not you. So you might have one plan, God might have a different plan, and I guess his plan will win, right? Yeah, it's God's plan, but it's still really good to begin to think. Uh, we know his revealed will, we know that he desires people to be saved, and we know we're part of his enterprise of, of catching people, so let's just begin to think uh, about how we can be involved in a bigger, longer term. Uh, kind of way that way what, what, what's up give me a couple of minutes just to just to think about that okay Obviously, you need to think more, you need to pray, uh, pray for wisdom, seek godly counsel. Uh, feel free to talk with your growth group leader or some other pastoral team if you think that'll be useful. Uh, but to keep on thinking, keep on praying, and say, How can I be involved? What's my role uh, in saving the world? Uh, one more thing I want you to think about. Uh, think about what you need to be doing between now at the end of this year as part of that overall effort uh, to catch people for the kingdom. Okay? Look at a very close horizon, look at a very long horizon.
horizon. Uh, it may be, it may be, I just need to take some time to think about the 20-year thing. Uh, that might be action. Uh, or it may be to make an appointment uh, with someone to try and talk about these things. That might be your action. Uh, it may be saying, look, I want someone to train me to use Christianity Explore because I, I think, you know, I could, I could uh, sit down with my friends and actually uh, share the gospel with them using a Bible study kind of thing, but no one's trained me to do it yet, so I just want someone to train me to do that. That's something I that think thing to do. Uh, you might think, well, I could start a, I could, I could start a small Christianity Explore group or something like that in my condo. Uh, or I've got a few friends at uni, just put them together and do that. Or I've got one guy at uni who, you know, I, between now and the end of the year, let me just try and see how I can, right? All kinds of things. Uh, it might just be inviting your neighbors over for dinner to see if they are interested in finding out more about Jesus. We'll be with that. I'll give you one, another one minute between now and the end of the year. Some of you having a minute to think during the sermon it would be a very helpful exercise. For others, it'd be completely wasted. Uh, uh, for some people, you need to think quietly as you go along. And for other people, you need to talk in order to be able to think. Right. And if that's you, then make sure you, well, we've got all our brothers and sisters here, right? So, and we've got supper there. So, make sure you use that time over supper uh, to be talking with each other. Uh, and to be helping each other to, uh, to think about these things. Well, we've wandered a little bit from the passage, but let me come back to the passage as we close. Uh, in our passage today, Peter and his friends left everything to follow Jesus. They left everything. Let me ask you, are you willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ? If you're not a believer yet, what will you need to give up in order to put your faith in Jesus? If you are a believer, what will you need to give up to see God's kingdom grow and more and more people caught for His glory? Is it career, money, family, or friends, or comforts, or respect, or control? Or what? 
In this passage, Peter and his friends leave their family business in fishing. That was the first time. Many years later, they would give up their freedom or their lives for the sake of following Christ. And we're only too painfully aware of the fact that around the world today, the same thing is being demanded of many of our brothers and sisters. Some of the Christians in the Middle East have had to choose between Christ and their lives. Let me ask if that was you. What do you choose? You choose Christ. Or you choose your life. So I've had to choose between Christ and their possessions. Are you Christ? And if you keep Christ, then you leave everything behind and you walk out with the clothes on your back. What will you do? Will you choose Christ? Or will you choose everything you have. If that choice is yours, then it's easy, isn't it? You choose Christ, don't you? Because Christ is far more valuable than anything, anything else. What good is it, Jesus says, to gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Choose Christ. If you choose Christ, then you are saying that Christ is more important to you than your life. You are saying that Christ is more important to you than your possessions. And if Christ is more important to to you than your life, consider yourself dead and serve Him with your life. And if Christ is more important to you than your possessions, consider them His and use them in his service. Peter and his friends left everything to follow Jesus. And God calls us to do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are holy and righteous consuming God. And that we are sinful people. And in and in and of ourselves we have no standing. You are a consuming fire who would consume us in our sinfulness and our righteousness. And yet, O oh God, you And in your love you have shown your great mercy to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have given him as the sacrifice that atones for our sin. You have paid for our sins by his blood. You have made us your own. United us with him. You have called us to be his people and brought us into his kingdom. The kingdom of the Son of the new love.